2.99. Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Dad, visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. Now, filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Oh boy, this will be a fun one. I loved learning a new way to eat cream puffs. I'm going to have my first one at the fair this week when I'm out there. Filling in for Jeff Wagner. I'm Ryan Recker. In open face cream puff. That's the way to do it. Don't be a hero. Don't try to eat the thing like it's a sandwich. It's just going to shoot out the other end. I was watching Fox 6 this morning. They were giving away some cream puffs on their morning show. And they had the reporter out there. And she's pretending to give things out. You know how there's always that awkward pause. Because there's a delay in the video feed. And the person standing there smiling. Waiting for their cue. But they're up on the camera. And they're just standing there, and it's like 30 seconds later, they finally go to the person, and they they throw to them. Now let's go out in the field and check with you. And there's always like a long pause. And then the person says, oh, it's so good to be out here. Now, they had the poor reporter out on the video feed, and there she was pretending to hand out cream puffs, but she was frozen in place. For 30 seconds, and as soon as it went to her, then she went into action, like the director said, action! And then she's like, I've been handing out cream puffs all morning. And I thought to myself, have you really been handing out cream puffs all morning? Or have you been waiting for your cue to hand the one over? And then she tried a cream puff, supposedly for the first time, took a bite into it, right out the back end, all the cream hit the ground, and you saw it hit the pavement. And for a moment, I thought, is it still good? I mean, could you just take just, you know, maybe like a finger, and as long as it's not touching the pavement, it's still good? Is that frowned upon? And if you were to do that on live television, is that all you would be known for? You know, the person that ate cream off the ground, and probably not the best idea. But the open face idea is great. Can I also complain about one other thing? And I'm just going to complain about this for a second. I was attacked today at the WTMJ studios. Why are you laughing at me? I was attacked today. You're laughing at me. So when I went to get a cup of coffee, they had these cups out that you would put underneath the coffee machine. And you put in the little coffee pouch. You press the button. And then coffee comes out. Kind of like the old machines. How You think about the old government buildings that have had these machines in there forever. You put the cup down and the water just spurts out and... It's kind of like dark, and they pretend it's coffee, but, you know, the machine's so old. Who knows actually what you're getting at this point? Probably some disease. You put the cup in, and I made the mistake because the cup was too large. So you had to remove the bottom tray, and then you remove the bottom tray, kind of like you would use a to-go container, and you put the cup in, and the thing was beeping, and it says, we can't detect the cup. Apparently, there's a motion sensor on the thing. So I, my instinct was to pick the cup up so it would... be seen by the sensor well here's what ended up happening it was almost like it was air pressured and the coffee like a super soaker 50 sprayed out onto my wrist the scalding hot coffee it attacked me and then i thought either i'm going to be able to drink the coffee or i'm not i'm just going to have to suck it up so here i am uh, looking around my wrist right now the red mark and then i got it right on my cufflink area a little bit of coffee stains but i'll tell you this they have really good coffee here so In the end, no regrets. But that's the way you start your morning. I 
thought I would just uh, start by complaining. Can I mention this one story out of Racine? I think a lot of people have been watching the absentee ballot loophole story. So a man was, what he says, investigating for fraud to see if it was easy enough for you to request a ballot for someone else without their permission. Now, he found out, yes, that is the case. Is this guy a hero or is this guy a felon? We're going to talk about that after the break. I'm really curious what you think about this one. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. If you know that story from Racine, give us a call now. If not, we'll talk about it right after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. So I'm going to take a straw poll here, and let's discuss this. This is a story out of Racine. I think you may have seen it by now. Absentee ballot loophole? Wisconsin man investigated for fraud. So a Racine County man uh, tried to prove election fraud. His name is Harry Waite. And in order to try to prove that it's easy to commit election fraud, he committed election fraud. Not, not a good thing, right? So the premise alone, you think, well, is that really a good idea to prove you can get away with a crime? But then he comes forward with it and saying, hey, you know, I got this organization that I put together. It's called Hot. Honest, open, and transparent. I'm guessing he doesn't say it like that. He probably just says it normal like hot. But when you see words like that, you say hot. And it is the idea that, hey, we need to make sure we lock down the election process to make sure we're not getting any fraudulent votes. We want to make sure the integrity of the election is there, and we want to make sure we do it ahead of time so we close any loopholes. I get his premise here. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. So when he went in, he requested the mayor's ballot. And guess what? It worked. Not good because he's not the mayor. So the big question that I'm asking you, is this guy a hero or is this guy a felon? For On his side of the story, he's trying to point out how easy it is to commit election fraud. On the other side of the story is he committed election fraud. So can you be looked at as a hero by committing a felony? I'm just going to take a, a poll here. I want you to call in. I'm going to also tally up all the text messages that are coming in. But here's the number, 855-616-1620, 616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's play a clip from Fox 6's coverage of this. So su- successfully mine Corey Mason's ballot. Harry Waite says he requested the ballots for Racine's mayor and several others. I think uh, what Harry Waite has done is don't want a ballot, and he should face the criminal consequences of that. Wade says he was proving the vulnerabilities in the state's My Vote Wisconsin page. I believe that there are people that are systematically harvesting these ballots. I don't have any proof. In reaction, the Wisconsin Elections Commission on Thursday called an emergency meeting. Just like a nefarious individual could misuse the personal information or identity of someone to commit something like a financial fraud, someone can also unlawfully use an individual's personal information to commit election fraud. Elections Administrator Megan Wolf says there are checks and balances. Those checks didn't stop some clerks from sending out these ballots. Nor yeah. did it stop Adrian Melby's friend from All right, requesting Let's leave it there for ballot. now. So essentially the Fox story on this shows, okay, yeah, he committed election fraud to prove it's easy to commit election fraud. I don't know if that's a good excuse. Now, I don't think the intention was for him to follow through on this, mostly because he went to the sheriff and he also explained exactly what was happening, and he said, here's the proof that how easy it is. 
So let's look at some of the text messages coming in. And I got to tell you, I see text message after text message. He's a felon. He's a felon. He's a felon. I don't know if I've seen anyone defend him yet. If you want to defend his process, I want to hear from you. Seriously. Uh, tell me, what do you think? 855-616-1620. Here's a couple of uh, messages on this. Uh, he's a felon. The vote still wasn't counted. If the actual person goes to cast the vote, they will say he did already. Okay, so then then you'll know something fishy is going on. So I'm going to put one down for felon. Uh, hero, good security. Okay, there's a hero. There's one that said, not all heroes wear capes. Okay, another one for hero. In my opinion, he is not a hero or anything like that. He is a felon. I don't care if you're trying to show a point. You're not going to rob a bank to see how easy it is to rob a bank. Okay, so that's another one for felon. says, I'm a locksmith. I also open safes. Want me to prove that your place is safe or not safe, I would get in trouble for breaking in. Okay, so I'm going to put felon down on that one. Committed election fraud. That's a felon. This is one of those reasons I don't vote is due to such stupid silliness. What do you mean this is the reason you don't vote? Just in case someone else puts the ballot out for you? Just in case someone's already done it for me, then I don't need to vote. Uh, okay, so so far, 42, felon to hero. I don't think he's a felon. Uh, so here's how I look at this. I think the intentions are clear. He meant to try to show the vulnerabilities. I don't think there was any real threat that he was going to follow through with an actual vote. I think he wanted to show how easy it was to get this ballot. I think the fact that he disclosed it and went to police after a sheriff in this case goes to show there was no real intention there. So when it comes to being a felon or not, I don't think you press charges. But can I also say he's not a hero because you're not a hero if you have to break the law to prove these things. This is a pretty easy way to show that there's vulnerabilities. You just show, okay, I went through it and it's possible for me to do this, but you don't actually pull the trigger. You know, no pun intended or anything. Here's a couple of more next. Uh, Hero. Good for him. Okay. I'd be afraid of whistleblower protection. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm putting you down as hero. Since there is no one looking into election fraud, this guy is a hero. Wow. So, so far, hero is winning the vote. No doubt. Fraud. All right. So we're stuck at five to five. You tell me. Hero or felon? This is right down the middle. 855-616-1620. I want to hear some more of your calls coming up right after the break. 616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thanks for that traffic update. We're watching the live feed in the studio, and I am trying to monitor this one box truck who has maybe moved 20 feet in the last 10 minutes, and I feel so bad for everyone that's stuck in that right now. I feel really bad for them. Oh, we're getting a full-screen version of this. No one's moving right now, and anyone that's in that whole vicinity, I just sympathize with you. You may be listening to us, so, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to give you some hope. If you're stuck in this right now and you want to weigh in on the poll, you're not going anywhere. But how about this? Um, Mike, I, I can't wait to learn more about a photo I saw online from the Milwaukee police after the news. You did a little bit of research to try to explain a program within the Milwaukee police when it comes to seizing property from drug dealers. And I can't wait to learn about that. So, And we'll also keep an eye on the traffic here.
at 43 and Locust Street. So here's the question that I've been putting out on the text messaging and opening up the phone lines. The story out of Racine, you have a guy that goes and requests a ballot for the mayor and some other people just to prove how easy it is for him to commit voter fraud. In the act of trying to expose voter fraud, or at least how easy it is to commit the act, he actually committed the act. Some people look at him as a hero. Some people look at him as a villain, as a felon, because he could be facing felony charges if they go through with this. And as I start to look at all the different votes, so far it's 11 to 8 in favor of hero. This is where I I wonder, because I don't think he's a felon, and I don't think he is a hero, because to break the law to do a, uh, commit a felony to try to prove a point seems so stupid to me. But let's point this out real quick. If it was up to me and I were in charge of charging this person, I would say, no, we're not going to charge. Obviously, we're not going to charge this person. What do you think on this one? 855-616-1620. Let's go to Mike. Welcome to WTMJ. Good afternoon, Ryan. How are you? Good. Um. Hero is a bit of a strong word. I definitely applaud him for doing it. Um, but if I had to pick a side, I would absolutely pick, uh, pick Hero because his intention was not to commit fraud. His intention was to expose. And he wasn't, you know, the party that he was, you know, would be voting for was not going to benefit from it because, he, he, you know, he told the sheriff that he did it. So I definitely applaud him. So immunity, there should be at least a little bit of that. But what if he was doing this with... I don't know, in coordination with the sheriff's department. What if he went to them first and said, hey, I got a feeling this is pretty easy to do. They never would have gave him permission, so it wouldn't have worked that way. So no. then he's got to, no, he's making a decision. So he understands his actions could lead to a felony. Yes. Okay. So that's, I think that, yes, he should be, you know, whatever you want to call it, charged, but not, you know, um, convicted. Okay. Uh, if you want to go through the process, go ahead. But he should absolutely not be convicted. His his intent and intent does matter in the law. And his intent was not to commit fraud; it was to expose. Great, thank you very much, Mike. And I agree. The intent was not to commit fraud; it was to expose how possible it is. A lot of states went through some pretty drastic measures to make sure this wouldn't happen. When it came to voting integrity, they preemptively decided that even though they didn't see it in their state, and I know Wisconsin's a little bit different, but when you know I'm from Missouri live in the St. Louis region. There wasn't a lot of claims of fraudulent votes in the state of Missouri. However, they still decided, you know, just in case, we better try to button this down so there's no loopholes. I understand those things, and it it definitely makes sense to me on that. Let's go to Tony. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello, Tony. Hello, how are you? Good. Um, I say, well, first of all, I'm one of these guys on I-43. (laughs) Oh, Tony, I'm so sorry. Can I see you on the camera? Are you close to the ramp? I'm in a gray. I'm next to a semi. I'm in a gray Honda Fit, just past Hampton, I think. Okay, so uh, you're getting close to that off ramp. I'm hoping so. Okay, and I'm I'm done with uh, this. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I'm a here. I'm a with hero, and the reason I am because he just he found out there was this loophole that you can do this, mm-hmm. and they should be happy he found that out. Now they can correct it. And so it won't happen again. Great. Tony. I mean, this guy, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't vote. Yeah. Do me a favor. Flash your lights for me. I want to see if I can see you in this lineup. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> these new cars, it's harder to do that. Ah, Tony, I don't see you. Thank see you very it? much. No, sorry. That's a no. shame. 
Ah, too bad. Uh, All right, so Tony's out there stuck in the lineup somewhere. One quick call. Let's go to Paul. Welcome to WTMJ. Hey, so why isn't anybody questioning the clerks that handed out the ballot? There's supposedly, I know it's a loophole, but there's supposedly safeguards in place. No one's questioning the clerks how this could possibly have happened and what is the clerk going to do to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. This seems so obvious to me that that we're being told that there's safeguards in place and yet they're not. Interesting. Thank you very much, Paul. And maybe the same point being there was no intention to allow fraud from the clerk's side would also prove there's no intention from this person to commit fraud. Is that like in football when there's negating penalties? All right, so we are watching the pretty large traffic jam here on 43 and Locust Street. And if you're stuck in that, I hate to give you some bad news. You're not going anywhere for a while. The traffic is just inching along. Uh, we could take some more calls on this. Mike Spaulding is going to join us after the break, too. He's going to explain something that we saw online from the Milwaukee police. He's going to explain it to me coming up. And if you want to, you can continue to text in. That'd be a great thing, too. 855-616-1620. And I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. So many great text messages, phone calls, too. The story out of Racine. Is he a hero or is he a felon for trying to point out how easy it is to get someone else's ballot, even high-profile names? Brad, welcome to WTMJ. Hi. Hi. I think he's a hero, and I'm just sorry I didn't try it myself. I'm in my late 70s. I've been active in politics since I was in my early teens, but I never had the guts to try that, and I think it was a great thing. Have you thought about activism at some point in your life? Well, I've been active, but I've never been that active. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. I like that. Oh, I've been active, all right. What do you think he meant by that? For some reason, in the back of my mind, I, he gave me a wink and nudged his elbow at the same time. Oh, I've been active. What does that mean? Here's some text messages, too. Uh, what is the political persuasions of the opinions? Is he a Republican? Then he's a hero. Democrat, he's a felon. That would be of interest, party affiliation. Oh, I don't know exactly how true that is. I mean, there could be some truth to that. I do think that election integrity is important. I don't think it's a bad idea to show your ID, making sure you're representing yourself when voting. I think that would be a very positive way to make sure that the integrity will be there. Voter fraud can happen. Don't forget, both sides lose when that happens. And let's also forget, going back to the other comment about Republicans or Democrats, back when, well, I don't know, going even to the 2000s, they looked at Al Gore and George W. Bush, and they called election fraud. Barbara Boxer out of California, if you remember that. It's not just a Republican thing talking about voter fraud. There have been people standing up in Congress to say, we are not going to certify our state or whatever, our our electors, because they objected and they thought there was fraud at the ballot. That's not new. It's not a Donald Trump thing as of recent years. There's another text message. Uh, how do we know he doesn't identify as Mayor Corey Mason? <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, didn't our forefathers break the law in some cases to prove a point that systems were broken or unfair? Maybe a fine, but not jail time. And go brew crew too. Nice. Thank you for all those great text messages. So if I'm keeping track... About double the amount of people messaged for hero than felon. And I don't know if we got a phone call yet to say, put the guy in jail. 
He needs to be served a lesson. And if you're the sheriff, the original reaction to the sheriff was, we're not going to charge you. I mean, thanks for bringing it to our attention. Since I tell you that I'm from the Missouri-St. Louis area, we had a similar instance between the governor, Governor Parson, and a newspaper, which is the large newspaper out of St. Louis. They found a vulnerability in the teacher's website. So there's a back portal that teachers can use. In a lot of ways, all their private information is stored on this portal. And the newspaper found that a lot of this information was just out there in the open for people to see. So what they decided to do was report on it after bringing it to the attention of the state of Missouri, saying, hey, you got this huge vulnerability. It doesn't take anything for people to find social security numbers of teachers in the state. So they gave that information so they could fix it. And then after the fix was in, then they reported the vulnerability. After that, the governor did not like that they put this published report out. And the governor said, this is akin to hacking, and we should charge the reporters involved with a felony. Now, keep in mind, no one looked at that and said, bringing a red flag up and showing vulnerabilities in the system, weaknesses in the system where people's securities have been breached, should not result in felonies. In fact, you should be given a thank you, a high five, a pat on the back, a nice stern handshake. Those are things that should be happening. Now, keep in mind, the public opinion did not side with the governor in this one. Definitely, the public opinion looked at the reporter's side and said, you did the right thing. I see some similarities. Maybe people will look at this and say, well, maybe you did the right thing. Let's go to Ken. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello, Ken. Taking my call. How are you? Good. Go ahead. Hi there. I think that he is not a hero. I think he found a loophole. I think there were other ways to test the loophole or to deal with closing the loophole and i think he's due for at least the minimum of a fine mm-hmm. i don't think a felony offense because of the intent so fine him but don't put him in jail would the irony be in that case be you become him, a felon wanna... uh, and, and then you can't vote anymore would that be ironic <laughs> That's why I don't want to push for the felony, because he didn't have the intent to topple an election or to do anything super mischievous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the big distinction here. jail would be a possibility. I think fine or community service would be fantastic. Oh. Maybe work the election. Oh, so be at the polls to check IDs, and then that way he'll, be, he'll know for sure he did his part to make sure no fraud slipped through his fingers. Exactly. Okay. Thanks, Ken. Now, I guess that would be an interesting public service. I'm going to go work a polling place for a day, and I'll make sure there's no fraud on my watch. Or would you want that guy being there? Would you be afraid? Because even if um, people look at him as a felon, then would they feel weird that, like, oh, wait, this guy's here watching us? Something fishy is going on. Would you distrust the system at that point? Still monitoring the cameras, the big traffic... Update from 43 and Locust Street. All the southbound traffic there at Locust Street being directed off the highway. And we see the slow-moving line of cars. If you are stuck in that, I feel for you, man. I am sorry to hear that. And definitely we'll get an update from police and maybe what's stopping you from traveling on 43. Looks like police activity in that area still. And it's been like that since about the start of the show at noon. So we'll get the very latest with that and the news coming up, too. And I saw a picture online from the Milwaukee police. It was a Escalade, an older Escalade, and on the back of this Escalade had a message. 
that was a very interesting message. So I asked the newsroom here at WTMJ, can you explain this to me? We'll get that with Mike Spaulding coming up, too. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. I like that. Pack your patience. Nice. It's a Debbie Lazaga phrase. I like to <laughs> steal, reappropriate from her. Help me understand this 43 locust in that area. So at first it was reported police activity, and now you've learned that shots were fired in the vicinity? Report of shots fired in the vicinity. No, yeah. no one injured, no other real further evidence of shots being fired, just a call. Usually what happens is a call will come in, either from someone living right there because you're right next to a neighborhood, or someone in their, their vehicle will, will call something in. So that is what they're doing right now. And I don't it doesn't get that. Like they're moving. Well, uh, supposedly, let's say there were gunshots. You would think that it would be rolling, meaning that wherever the gunshots were coming from, originating from a moving vehicle, they would be out of the area. So why close the highway down? Could be because a, I think they're looking for evidence, but it's also going to be close to remember all the way into downtown Milwaukee to 794. So there is quite a swath of roadway, I guess you could say, that is closed right now. So that could be. What it is, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do expect we'll learn more from the sheriff's office here in just a little bit. Right now, if you are interested, from Brown Deer Road to downtown, it's going to take you 120 minutes. Oh, man. All right. As long as it's not 620 minutes, I guess. No, it might as well be if you're sitting there. <laughs> I saw a picture online. Someone from Milwaukee posted the back of an Escalade police cruiser, and on it was a decal that said, Seized from a local drug dealer and it has the you know 911 emergency on it and all the other regular police markings they're not trying to hide this or try to make it look like it's a undercover vehicle seized from a local drug dealer and it made me wonder about this and you said oh i know about this program let me look into it so do police normally seize items from drug dealers and then reuse them themselves it apparently has been in in the works for quite some time just doing a little bit of a crack research earlier this afternoon going back to at least three chiefs prior to where we are at now with jeffrey norman this has been going on so i came across an article from 2008 with former chief ed flynn and some of the requests he made Mm -hmm. and actually the budgeting process ryan is going on right now so there's there's two pools essentially the police can use from the federal forfeiture fund and then a state forfeiture fund the Mm -hmm. federal is the big one that's at 1.48 million Mm dollars so they use this money for a number of things they can as you witnessed buy new cruisers it's basically for equipment and other things that a police department law enforcement agency would use so Mm -hmm. they buy new radars they allocate money towards new cruisers beds Oh. Uh, software improvements. I think $300,000 is what the police department asked for for software improvements. $15,000 for new cameras. Something called a Boss 2 scanner, which is like a, a tool that officers can mm. use to detect weapons underneath your clothing. So It sounds cool. What a great name. The Boss 2. Yeah, the Boss 2. It's all caps, too, obviously. So, <laughs> no, so yeah, they, they can, they've been doing this for quite a while now, and I can imagine it's a, quite a big help for them just given where they're at budgetary restraints and, and all that kind of stuff. I saw someone post a comment online, and this makes sense. Maybe the reason they put that on the back of an Escalade is because when the public sees that, they'll think, oh, look at the police. They have too much money if they're buying Escalades. That's and a good one. <laughs> they, they may look at that and say, well, okay, since it came from a drug dealer, then I guess it's all right. They can have an Escalade. You probably have sat through public hearings, budget meetings for police or anything like that. I've listened in on some of the 
complaints that people have when it comes to police budgets. One stands out. I remember someone's getting to the podium and saying, why do the police need to repair their elevators in their like five story police station? They could just use the stairs. We don't need to be wasting money for police to using elevators. And that's the type of nitpicking they have on police budgets. So if they can get some extra money from a drug dealer or maybe a vehicle or whatever it is, I'm all for it. That seems like appropriate use of that money. Well, and it's like a, a little bit of a veiled threat, too, right? If you are if you see a, a cop car that says, you know, taken or, or, or purchased from your local drug dealer, maybe if you're that local drug dealer, you're thinking twice about, I don't want to get my car impounded and then turned into a police cruiser. Yeah, you don't want the police looking up the car <laughs> up and down saying, I'd look good in this. <laughs> Give them the incentive. All right, Mike, thank you for that. Absolutely. Digging a little bit deeper. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. And we'll get some updates on the traffic on 43 and Locust going southbound. You are stuck in there right now. I feel for you, man. That's tough. So we'll get another news update here in about, oh, five, six minutes from our WTMJ newsroom. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner. Some great text messages coming in. A couple of segments ago, we brought this up out of Racine. You have the, well, I don't know if you could call him an activist. For the most part, he has an organization called Honest, Open, and Transparent Government. Is said to try to point out the opportunity for voter fraud, and by showing how easy it is, he committed voter fraud himself. And so far, polling the audience, more heroes than felons, I don't think he's either. I don't think you charge him with a felony by any means. But it's kind of hard to justify committing a felony in order to prove your point. Bob, welcome to WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Go ahead. I was was just thinking, back in Missouri, do you have whistleblower laws? You know, it's tough to tell because it depends. I think a lot of times, depending on what city or county you're in, it may apply or may not. But that's if you're a government employee. So this guy's not a government employee, so I don't think it would matter in that case. Well, that was my point, you know, just... You know, like if you're working for the school system and you report it's too easy to hack in here. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in this case, hey, dude, there's something something wrong with our election here. Mm-hmm. I can obtain all this stuff for... Right. You know, should, shouldn't it be exempt? Yeah. From well, well, considering he's not a member of the organization in a lot of ways, like if someone just texted in whistleblower laws federal, but if you're not an employee, you're not really whistleblowing at that point. So I, you know, I guess you would have to be a member of that organization to count. I, I may be wrong, but thank you, Bob. Another thing, oh, text message, all kinds of them coming in. One person had a great text message and essentially said, what if I fraudulently said I live somewhere and fraudulently came up with documents to fraudulently get a ballot and then fraudulently vote? Could I then use that as my defense to saying I was just pointing out fraud? Well, no, you couldn't do that. So I think that's where a judge discretion would pop in. Another text message came in about civil forfeiture doesn't require you to commit a crime. That's 100% true. The the person that texted that in is so right about this. This happens at airports. This happens during travel. You'll find that government officials, agents, or whatever it is, may find a large 
sum of money and say, we're just going to take this from you and hold on to it because it's suspicious without a trial. That is, I mean, civil forfeiture is a serious issue in the way that it's abused through the government. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, drug dealer, I don't care. Like if you're, if you're caught and you got a bunch of fentanyl or you got a bunch of whatever in your vehicle at the time, and it's obvious that you're dealing this stuff, then if they take your car away from you because that's how you use to transport the drugs, I don't really have much sympathy for you. What am I going to do? I'm going to cry that the government took your Escalade because you're out there peddling drugs on the street? Well, no, I'm not going to. Obviously, I'm not going to. All right, we're going to get a traffic update and a look at your news. All of that coming up in just a few moments. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Another great fill-in opportunity for you. I'm on Twitter, at Ryan Recker, if you want to find me on there. And thanks for that fast first hour. We're going to check in again with Alex in about uh, 5, 10, 15 minutes from now, 10 minutes from now. Watching 43 and Locust. If you're stuck in there, I am so sorry, but you are not going anywhere. I hate to give you that bad news. I saw the um, I, you know, interesting story out of Germantown. I saw the paper wrote about this a couple of days ago, and I had to go see the photo for myself. And the idea of the Germantown Community Library receiving emails about a display they put on uh, for Pride Month. So every month they have a different theme for this display inside. The month of July was Pride-themed, and they had it decorated in a certain way, which generated a lot of emails into the librarians. And none of the emails were complimentary. They didn't like the idea that this was out on display. So I thought, okay, I'm going to check this out for myself. So I went online. I saw a picture of the photo. It kind of looks like a bay window, so you get the three panes. And it has got multiple layers, but there's a lot of room to put things in there. For the most part, it was a lot of, like, you know, here's a rainbow-colored book. Here's a bunch of things we printed off the Internet. There wasn't a lot of anything fancy to it. Um, it here's a few things I jotted some notes down. They had plush animals kissing each other, which was a weird thing. They had books like This Book is Gay in there. They had signs that said, Gender, Fluid, Drink Up the Haters. There was photos of kids protesting, holding up signs, many different striped colored flags and things. And I... You know, you know the main pride flag, and then there's a bunch of other different colored flags that I really don't know the coding for, but there's a lot of them, and they had them on display. And the parents took exception to this. A lot of the parents looked at it and said, you know, I'm bringing my kids here. Um, is this really an appropriate display for something like this? And I thought, well, okay, maybe we just ask the audience. Does a display inside of a library for Pride Month upset you? So you may not be in Germantown or even visit that library, or maybe it's been forever since you've actually been inside of a library. Does something like that even offend you anymore? I, I think maybe 20 years ago you'd see a lot more people talking about it, like, oh, look at that. This is trendy. We're not used to seeing something like this. I mean, it's like 2022, and I'm thinking, how is this even controversial at this point? So I should probably tell you where I come from. I am a Bible-believing Christian, and... I look at this in a few ways, because I know what my faith says about this, and I'm not going to contradict my God on any of this. I do think that something on display doesn't mean I'm going to have to agree with it or endorse it or go along with it. I think there's going to be times in my life where I'm going to have to take a stand and say, no, I just don't agree with these sort of things. But a, a, a display of photographs or whatever inside of a library doesn't necessarily give me that same feeling. It feels like it's very easy to opt out of that because you just don't have to look at it. Or really, you don't have to participate in it. 
You don't have to bring the books out. You don't even have to explain it to your kids. I think as a parent, you do have a obligation to protect your children in whatever your faith may be. I don't think you have to go against your faith. I don't think you have to introduce things to kids that are not necessary to introduce kids. So let's point this out. Let's say you're in the library or a public area, something that's available to everyone, and you see this. Does this upset you? I, I, just give me your inclination. I'm curious where we are. Do you even care about something like this? Would this bring you to the point of emailing the library? The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. 616-1620. Does this even register anymore? Because 20 years ago, maybe. Now, I don't even think this is a, a blip on the radar, honestly. And I know, again, I'm not going to teach my kids any of that stuff because it goes against our faith. I'm not going to participate and say, oh, I have an obligation to try to bring a certain worldview to them. No, I'm not going to do any of that. I don't think this display does it, even though my family, my wife, they patronize our library all the time. They're there at least once a week. There's so many different services inside the library. My kids get games from the library. You can get video games. You can get movies. You can get books. There's reading programs. All of these things are great. Is this even a blip? Because the controversy and the way you read it make it sound like this is terrible. Like, wow, this is a, I can't believe this is going on. But I think, who cares? Like, is, why is this even a thing? So you tell me, where's the outrage? Or maybe there is none, and it's being manufactured just for the news websites right now. 616-1620 is the number. We'll take some of your calls coming up right after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. We're watching the live video feed of 43 and Locust, and I can't believe that dude just drove up the shoulder and cut in front of the semi, and the police didn't do anything about it. That person may be listening right now. I'm telling you, I was so frustrated watching that dude drive on the shoulder, and the police didn't pull him over. And, and cut right in front of a semi, too. He <sighs> went right down on the shoulder. This is when you start seeing like semis pull half onto the shoulder, so no one's allowed yeah. to get by them. You know what I mean? I'm waiting to see that happen. But oh, yeah. Yeah, someone definitely just flew down on the right-hand shoulder. Let's not do that, guys. Yeah, We're all stuck that. in traffic here. Come on. Listen, and if you do, you listen to another radio station when you do it, because I don't <laughs> want my voice being on a company today. All right, we'll get another traffic update, a look at your news here in about 15 minutes from now. I'm Ryan Recker filling in, and I was talking about the Germantown Library Pride display. A couple of different articles have been written about it. The newspaper did one just a couple of days ago, and part of it is, to me, I look at it and think, is this just drumming something up for the sake of drumming something up? Are you? Is it really something that you report on? I just... I just don't know. I, I I don't get it in that standpoint. I told you where I stand. I want to know where you stand. 855-616-1620. That's the number. You can text in, too. Yvonne, welcome to WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Ray. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, as I told your screener, I'm well past 60. Uh, and when I hear these sorts of things, I, I don't understand why people are trying to put their head in the sand. I have some very wonderful gay friends. Uh, I think they just got to get with us. If you don't want your child to know about what is out in the world, that child is going to grow up and just have a mass of trauma when he finds out that things are are quite different with other people. Oh, I totally disagree with that. 
I, I disagree with that standpoint. I think that you have an obligation as a parent to protect your kids, and part of your faith is is making sure you protect your kids from things that are contradictory in the world. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you don't protect your children, but you have to make your children aware. I don't know if you do. You Maybe do at, like, well, how old are we talking when we talk about children? Like, what, what's the age limit you're thinking? I think when children start to ask questions, as a parent, you have to answer them honestly. Okay. And I don't think that that's dependent on an age. Let me ask you this question. In, let's say, like, inside of the school library, there's these type of books. So let's say kindergarten through fifth grade, these certain books with materials that some parents would look at as questionable, should those books be included in a children's library at school? What do you, what do you determine a children's library to be? Like just a school library inside of a grade library. school. That's what I meant. Okay, but I've never been a... I've never been in a children's library where they have had any type of textbooks on gay people. Oh, okay. I I raised three children, and I have also raised some foster children. Right. And I've been very, very involved in in their schooling. Sure, okay. Well, um, okay. I I think people like to get out there and just find something that they can hang their head on and thump their chest on, and they forget that these persons who are gay are human beings also. Sure. No, no, no. Yvonne, you're right. Thank you very much. We all have to accept each other as we are. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Part of what I find is that with that argument, which is... Uh, you know, children's literature, there has been a lot of books and literature written directed towards children on this topic. And I think about that as a Christian parent, because I'm thinking, okay, what are the messages in this book? What are the things they're telling the kids? And are the schools allowing the kids to see this without the parental permission? Because there's going to be a lot of households that look at that and say it's questionable. And we wouldn't bring that up, and maybe you do need parental permission for that, and I think that's how most schools handle it. You even get to the point in some high schools where you see this, because you're talking about minors, and you may think, wow, uh, high school, I can't believe you're going to block a book in a high school. But some of these books, I think it would uh, shock you, the graphic sexual nature of some of these books, not only depictions, but pictures of sexual acts that are marketed towards teenagers, I I really think it would shock you. And that's why you do need to have some sort of policy in place for this. But then again, that's the school. The only reason I brought that up is because you said there shouldn't be an age limit on it. And I just thought that would be a way to illustrate it. Jane, welcome to WTMJ. Hi. Okay. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my feeling is, why do we have to make such a big deal about publicizing this? I mean, I don't have a problem with gays, if that's what they choose, heterosexual, biracial, whatever. It's like, if I was with my child or grandchild and they saw, you know, two guys together or two women kissing or whatever, and they asked about it, I'd say, okay, yeah, that's what they like. You know, they're attracted to the same sex. At that point of the question, I would answer it, and it's like, that's it. But mm-hmm. we don't have, like, clutch animals in the window uh, <laughs> well, or like, oh, 
Oh, that's a little teddy bear, and that's a white polar bear, and they're interracial, and they're part of it, or, you know, heterosexual plush animals sitting in the window kissing. Why do we have to bring... You're right, the sexuality of plush animals, I understand. Jane, thank you for your call. I will point out that if the kids ask questions about it, here's how I would handle it. I would say, here's what God says about this. Because if we're going to raise our kids in faith, then that's how you would do it. Mike, welcome to WTMJ. Hi. Hi, how you doing? Hi, go ahead. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on your side. I say that uh, I read the Bible. I'm a Christian. And while I don't hate or want to see the gay population persecuted, I also will never accept that they are right. I will tell my kids, they, and I have told my kids, they're wrong. And I don't like the way the biggest point i wanted to make is i don't like the way our government through schools libraries etc tell our children that it's okay that they portray it as a positive thing uh the gay pride they should be ashamed they shouldn't be proud well see when, they should be so ashamed my, of what they're like, doing when you say and when you say really things like this no, I, I understand, but you, you wouldn't really necessarily go on the offense for something like this, would you? So, you, though you may feel this is how oh, no. your faith no, handles no, no, no. it, but you wouldn't go on the offense, correct? No, no, no. No, I would not do that. Uh, but I would if my children said it or saw it or asked me any questions about it. So, like, this would this say, would be your yes, reaction to it. I don't want okay. to hate them. Okay, well, thank you very much, yeah, Mike. Just, yeah, and this is where, when I look at the display, I think... Yeah, nothing. I just think that in a lot of ways we try to drum up controversy by posting these things up there, and I understand people feel a certain way, but do we really need to make this into some national debate? Because I think sometimes these are the type of articles that are written in hopes that a national publication picks it up. Oh, can you believe what's happening in this little Milwaukee town? I just I think that's what they try for. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. I just want to humor you for a moment. Something I heard this morning at breakfast. So I'm staying in a hotel. I walked over to a George Webb because, I mean, they have a perfect breakfast. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of places with great breakfast. I love a, a diner feel. So I went into George Webb, and I was the only one there because it was really early, and they're open. So I sat down. I was eating, and I heard the cooks and the waitresses all talking to each other, all females. Not that that matters, but... The one person was talking about the TV show MASH, so it automatically puts them in a certain age group. Because if you watched MASH, then, you know, I'm guessing you're over the age of 50. Because even in syndication reruns, I'm sure you caught some of that, maybe even older than that. And then the other waitress brought up, I loved Mr. T in MASH. And then the other waitresses were looking around, they're like, Mr. T wasn't in MASH. No, Mr. T was in MASH. And I I kept thinking, I almost doubted myself. I thought, did Mr. T have a walk-on role in MASH? So I pull out the cell phone, and I start searching, and MASH was still a good 10 years or so before Mr. T even entered the acting realm. This is way before A-Team. This is way before Rocky III. You know, you were talking 70s versus 80s at this point. And I thought, too... Is it possible 
she time-traveled from one multiverse to another where Mr. T was part of MASH. Is it possible? Probably not. Probably not at all. But I wish that was the case. I wish Mr. T was in MASH. In fact, if they were to remake it and he was in it, I'd watch it. There's those things called the Mandela Effect. Have you ever heard of this? The Mandela Effect apparently takes things that pretty much everyone knows, but knows it in the wrong way. So, for example, Curious George. Did you know Curious George does not have a tail? Everyone remembers him with the tail. Or the old Star Wars, you know, Luke, I am your father. Well, guess what? He didn't say that. That's the line that everyone remembers, but it's not what he said. So their theory is that, well, there was some time travel or some alternate universe crossover where everyone remembers things the wrong way. All right, before we go to break, some good news. We're watching the traffic cameras, 43 and Locust. Just opened back up. In fact, there was this parade of flashing lights as the police were opening up traffic to everyone. I can only imagine how happy everyone is for moving right now. Just thank your lucky stars it didn't take longer. This is actually earlier than what they anticipated. So we're going to take a look at your news coming up in just a moment. But if you're moving on 43 right now, I have nothing to do with it, but I'll take the full uh, acceptance for it if you really want to give us that. Get a haircut and get a real job. Finally, something we can agree on. If you're out there, you hippie, get a haircut and get a real job. What great advice any father can have for their son. And the New York Times finally put out an opinion piece that I agree with. It's not often, but occasionally it'll happen. And the headline is, the best extracurricular activity may be an after-school job. That's right, son. Get a haircut and get yourself a job. So part of this opinion piece discusses how so little teenagers actually find work while they're going through high school. I, myself, personally, in high school, wanted to work as soon as it was legal. And I did. And I even skirted labor laws because I wanted to work more than what I was allowed to work. And I liked every minute of it. Why? Because I wanted to get that money to spend on CDs or whatever it was that was available at the time. Lots of American teenagers do look for jobs, but there's less and less. Mostly because the pressure of going to college is there. And they feel because... You need to pad your application. You need to take all these extracurriculars. You better be in student government. Better help soup kitchens. You better donate your time here. You better learn eight languages. You better have a story. You better overcome adversity. You better walk old ladies across the street. Get yourself that Eagle badge, whatever it is. That's the way most teens are now looking at how they spend their extra time. Well, I guess there's a couple of ways. There's that, or they can play Fortnite or whatever the popular video game is at the time. So the opinion piece says, forget about helping old ladies cross the street. You can do that occasionally. Forget about helping the soup kitchen out. Do that if you want to. What you really should be doing is the extracurricular after-school job. What an awesome way to meet friends, to become more independent, to learn things about life things that'll be lifelong lessons for you. And in fact, this New York Times article pointed this out. They said, number one, get a haircut and get a real job. That's number one. Number two, they didn't actually say that, but uh, being good at school doesn't mean 
being good at work. What a great life lesson that is. You may be a straight-A student, and you get into the real-life situation, and you're not a straight-A employee. You're not going to be able to do things right all the time. I'm just going to humble brag for a moment, but my son's a smarty pants. He's someone that was tested for the advanced placement programs in first grade. He actually tested with the fourth graders, which I'm so proud of my little smarty pants. So they put him into a program once a week where he's taking higher ed classes, you know, for his age group or whatever, which is great. And the way that he was doing it is that they sit down and they have a class specifically called Unlocking Your Gift. And the idea is that when you're at school, things may seem easy for you, but when you get into an atmosphere where we're challenging you more than what the regular classroom would offer, it's not going to come as easy, and you're not going to be perfect. And they found that students would be super frustrated because things weren't coming as easy to them. And they were learning new concepts, and they weren't getting it right at first. And they were being corrected. And if you're going to school and you're just used to floating by, this was a shockwave right across your face. I mean, they were just five fingers right there, leaving a big welt mark on your cheek. That's what it felt like for some of these kids. Because at that age, they don't know how to cope with this. My point is that if you're just a regular student and you're used to studying and things are fine and you're working on your own pace and you can just do things as you wish, then you're going to be up for a rude awakening in the real world. That's not how business works. So this would be a great opportunity for them in a very limited liability setting to learn some very strong life values that's probably better than the debate team or the chess club or the whatever the kids are doing today. You can also learn being fired isn't the end of your career, and neither is quitting. This is great. You learn what it's like to make minimum wage, and then you maybe appreciate that you don't want to work minimum wage for the rest of your life. You're being paid for your time. You learn about how promotions are not automatic. For example, if you're working in a business and you want to move up, then how do you do that? Well, you can work and work and work and hope you get recognized, or maybe everyone else around you quits. Or you can tell your boss, you know, I kind of want to try this job. I'm ready for the challenge. And then you know what? They may or may not do it, but you learn. You also learn that bosses can behave badly. (laughs) How many of you have had a bad boss sometime in your life? And isn't it better to learn from that and move on and then become a better person for it and understand the things that you want and the things that you don't want? You would learn that being in a workplace means working with people who aren't like you. And not everyone is as lucky as you are in some ways. If you're a high school student working a job, it's nice because you can go back living with your parents. You might have, again, that limited liability and you don't have to worry about the world knocking you down or where you're going to get your next meal because mom and dad will take care of it. But you're still learning those lessons and you may be working with people that are not in the same situation as you. And it helps you learn how lucky you really are. You can also learn that boredom comes with the job and that school skills can be acquired outside of school, meaning that you don't have to learn everything from inside the confines of high school or college or whatever it is. What a great opinion piece. I think every parent should read that. I think every parent should make sure their kids get a job. That's just the way to do it. And if it means get a haircut and get a real job, kid, put them in their room, make them listen to that George Thorogood song on a loop until they finally get it. If it takes a day and a half, they'll get it. Wait until their hair is cut when they come out of that room and they'll be ready to go. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. (laughs) 
Text message from the 414. Just caught the tail end of the article piece you just read. I'm interested in it. Where can I find it? I had to put the caveat out there. Not often do I find opinion pieces inside of the New York Times, one that I would agree with, but this one I do. Came out New York Times just uh, two days ago. The best extracurricular may be an after-school job. Uh, another text message. In no world is a cart boy at the supermarket more useful than learning eight languages. Number one, if you're smart enough to learn eight languages, then good for you. But let, let me try to... You know, I don't even know if that's the case. So how would you apply those eight languages? And let's say that you actually were fluent in those, and it was just not a casual, fun thing you're doing with the Duolingo app. And some people could say they could, you know, pass a conversation or enough to understand with what's being said. But what practical application do those eight languages bring you? Now, if you can say, I can get a job translating or there's a demand this IT company needs someone that could talk to the suppliers overseas then you know what parlay that into a job and make a ton of money doing so that would be very important but I don't want to diminish the job of a cart boy or someone working in a supermarket because that's going to be a lifelong lesson too in how you interact with treat people how you you can hustle and make something of yourself maybe you learn the things you like and don't like there's a lot of advantages to both I get that but to say that you know eight languages doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do anything with them. So what are you going to do? You're going to learn Mandarin? So what are you going to do with that? You can go to the Chinese restaurant or whatever, speak it, and they'll be impressed for three minutes? No. I, yeah, okay, that works, fine. But outside of those three minutes you impress them, then what else are you going to do with it if it's not for a job? Then your own satisfaction in that sense. I wanted to point out something else here. Oh, here. Uh, I had a 3.9 GPA. Someone texted in. Uh, teaching certification courses. I never did get a regular job, full-time teaching job with benefits. Bummer. I feel bad for that. So you went through all of the rigmarole and then decided not to go through with it. This might be the right time to get back into teaching. They are desperately needing teachers. I don't know what you need to do to get recertified. But you probably have a leg up that you've done it before and you know what to expect. It may put you in a pretty good spot. And it may actually get you a higher position than what you would normally try to apply for because of how desperate the need is at this point. Real quick before we move on, let me go to John. Welcome to WTMJ. Hi, John. Hey, what's up, Ryan? Um, Just to that last texter that had sent in about the eight languages, I totally agree with you. You know, I'm... I myself am in finance now, but my first several jobs in high school were working on a construction crew on the site. And I think it's there's nothing more valuable than no matter what the position is, just character building. And I think a lot of kids nowadays, for a variety of reasons, are missing that opportunity. It's you know very valuable to kind of, you know, have a job. Maybe you might not love it, but, mm-hmm. it's, you know, learning over everything that maybe you don't want to do that the rest of your life. I did not want to be raking concrete for the rest of my life. That was probably the biggest lesson from that summer. All right, so what would you rather do, hang drywall or rip up a roof? Oh, my God. Well, it depends what month we're talking. uh, (laughs) Right now. Drywall's pretty brutal. Yes, it is. They're both bad. I look at any time I have a neighbor that gets a roof ripped up, I think, man, I'm glad I'm not up on that roof. (laughs) I'm too old for that. Yeah. Oh, that's hard work. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Yeah, he's right. You can learn a lot of these things in hard work, putting a little elbow grease into what you're doing, pride into what you're doing, are all lifelong lessons. So... 
Let's see what time. We got time. No, we should probably go to break. I'm going to do that, but then right after the break. there's a. It's an interesting commentary that's been happening with a lot of the conservative outlets, and I consider myself a conservative. The, a lot of the outlets have been downplaying this terrorist drone strike. And I'm under the mindset that it's a good thing when you take out a terrorist. I don't think you have to apologize or think twice about it. If you're pictured with Osama bin Laden, then you're probably someone that I have no sympathy as being taken out. And whatever role you had in these terrorist acts would justify that. But the approach that some of these different conservative libertarian websites are taking right now is is confusing to me. We'll talk about that after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Charlie, I got a question for you, and I'm just going to throw this out. Now, I don't always consider myself a visionary, but in some ways, you know, I, they say I'm a dreamer. I'm just going to throw this idea out to you with the state fair going on and everyone getting ready for cream puffs. In fact, I keep seeing it on the news. I can't wait to try one for myself here, learning the new technique of the open face cream puff as opposed to trying to eat it like a burger or a sandwich. Then you open it up, eat it, enjoy it a little bit more that way. I'm just going to throw out this idea to you, and you tell me. If I just revolutionize the cream puff, it's a cream puff, but you use Texas Roadhouse cinnamon butter. That just sounds. Now, can I say unholy, or is that not not, not good? What? So that goes against everything you believe in? I I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to figure it out. But you'll you'll have to show it to me. You'll have to feed it to me. Right, the best commodity. At Texas Roadhouse, I don't care what anyone says. It's that butter they offered with the rolls. It is so good. I could eat that as its own meal. If you made that into a cream puff, ah, I will eat until I pass out, and the paramedics will have to revive my dead body. And then as soon as I wake up again, I'll say, get me another one of those. Well, then we're going to have to find another replacement host. Yes, you will. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. I don't know if you noticed on Fox or conservative websites, libertarian websites, things like that. You know, Fox did an article about the al-Qaeda leader that was killed as part of this drone strike. He was involved with 9-11. He was working with Osama bin Laden. As far as I'm concerned, the United States did something justified, and they did something totally within the realm of what you would expect the United States to do, which is take out terrorists, ones that are threats to the United States. Uh, Ayman al-Zawari, and if I'm saying his name wrong, I don't care. He's a terrorist. But what you find is that the very targeted strike took him out. He was on a balcony, and they say that they didn't take out any civilians or his family members around him. He was involved in 9-11, along with other terrorist plots. He took out diplomats, servicemen and women. And Fox has an article, Al-Qaeda leader killed in drone strike, 9-11 families react. And, of course, the families are happy for that. Now, other conservative sites, libertarian sites, raise this question. And the question that they raise is, was it really necessary? You know, he's kind of retired. He's not really doing anything. He's not calling any shots. Is the world really safer because we did a drone strike in Afghanistan? I mean, was this really worth our efforts? Is this just a distraction? Is this because they... I think it's very likely they waited to announce this drone strike and taking out this terrorist in order to try to soften some of the bad economic news from the Biden administration. One after another, we see inflation get out of control. We, you can debate it, but we're in a recession. We keep seeing negative growth, which is not a good sign. 
not a great indicator. The way the interest rates are raising, it indicates things are not going to be getting any better. In fact, we're probably going to see a reversal on some of those job gains, which, by the way, we're not doing great. If you consider where we were pre-pandemic to where we are now, it's not like we have all these jobs that the president is trying to tout. It's really manipulating the situation in that sense, which you can, but... It's a manipulation. I think we know that because if we're trying to talk about the stability of the economy and where we sit today, then, you know, that's just a bunch of nothing. Right. You're just blowing hot air at this point. So we have to be realistic here if we're going to try to assess where we are in the economy. A lot of investors are scared. We're scared with the housing market. We're scared for our 401ks. We're scared that everything's going to cost more money because of how terrible inflation is. And maybe there's going to be more stimulus or maybe there's forgiveness of loans or maybe there's this or Green New Deal and just more debt we're going to pile on. The Inflation Reduction Act, that is such a lie. So you hear about all of these things in the news and they'll say, uh, well, maybe taking out this terrorist was a bad thing because now it's just another distraction for Joe Biden. Or maybe it's, in the grand scheme of things, not even worthwhile. No one cares. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I got to say, you got to be happy for days you wake up and you notice there's one less terrorist on the planet. And I know, based on my faith, I shouldn't be delighting in someone else's death, but I don't feel bad that a terrorist was taken out someone that perpetrated some horrendous crimes against americans when we go back to 9-11 someone that was involved in that no sympathy whatsoever it should have happened a long time ago just you know take the win when you can you don't have to criticize everything because you don't like the guy i don't think he's a good president but still you don't have to criticize good things that happen and this is a good thing i'm, I'm very happy to report that thanks to the message that came in it looks like i don't know a picture of two cream pies and a worker that looks like they are overwhelmed because the workers are running around frantically trying to prepare this for the state fair the way i'm looking at this is there's more cream than pie it looks awesome i gotta tell you i cannot wait to try one of these for myself whoever sent that message in big thumbs up to you i hope that uh, i get to meet you sometime because that looks fantastic those cream pies i'm ryan wrecker filling in for jeff wagner we have another hour coming up on wtmj Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Man, whoever texted the pictures of the two cream puffs, I can't stop looking at it. I, I just can't. Real quick, Alex, if you don't mind. I, I mean, I, I tried to revolutionize the cream puff and I got turned down. <laughs> Did you hear my idea? My, no, I was I was working some news angles back okay. in the newsroom. Tell me what you got. Here's my idea, and tell me if this is just going to revolutionize the business. Okay. A cream puff, but instead you use Texas Roadhouse cinnamon butter. Mmm. Give it a little bit, uh, just a little bit of something extra there, huh? Who doesn't love that cinnamon butter? <laughs> I, I mean, you use it on the buns, and then you lick that little plastic cup clean after. This is actually like a, a bigger debate in the area than, than I thought it would be a couple of years ago about the cream puff. Is it delicious? Is it a little bit bland? You know what I mean? Does it need a little something extra to it? I think they're fantastic, but I think you're right. The, the cinnamon butter might might definitely add something that it's missing. That's the spin I've been waiting for. You know, every <laughs> once in a while, they say you, it's hard to create a new mousetrap, but I think I just did. Yeah, just just <laughs> give it a little bit more flavor into it, you know? You don't have to reinvent the entire thing, uh -huh. but just add a little bit of a flavor to it. There you go. Yeah. They've done, like, 
strawberry ones during oh. Valentine's Day and stuff like that, too. I've never had those. I have not tried. I've just had the original. So. I can't wait to try it. All right. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, you got it. So uh, I wanted to bring up this one case from the ACLU. So apparently they are now petitioning on support of Harvard University in the admissions lawsuit. Now, if you've been following this, the, the interesting thing with the admissions lawsuit is that we now have a Supreme Court justice on the United States that was an active participant at Harvard at the time when it came to their admission scandal. Harvard was found and had been actively, I guess, fine with, and in fact, I don't want to say endorsing, but this is their policy. Their policy was, we have too many Asians, and because we have so many Asians here, it's unfair, so we need to tip the scales. So if you're Asian, it's going to be harder for you to get in, because we just have too many right now. And people looked at that and said, that's a pretty discriminatory way to admit students. Not based on merit, but based on their race. Is that legal? Harvard tried to justify it to say, we need more diversity at Harvard, not just Asians, which I'm sure that's going to be a tough thing for their lawyer to stay in front of the Supreme Court, because this case is something that will be looked at. And you would think the ACLU Civil Liberties Union, at least traditionally speaking, would look at this case and say, yeah, discrimination, that's a bad thing. But instead, the ACLU has came out and said, we stand in support of Harvard. And here's their statement. I wanted to read this. It's the case called Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard. They say that right off the bat, it's led by an anti-affirmative action crusader. So they're setting this up. Anti-affirmative action. So how about we just look at it from its basis? Is it a good idea to discriminate? And a lot of people would say, no, terrible. Well, okay, then you say, let's look at that more liberally. You discriminate every day. Look at you. You decide to eat at one restaurant and not the other restaurant. You discriminated against the other restaurant. Discrimination just means choice. So then they try to lay out this argument, this road that you go down, and they try to feed you down the road, like Hansel and Gretel. They put these little you know, affirmative action candies in front of you, and you just next thing you know, you're so down, far down the road, you don't know what to do. And they start to make this further argument. They say... Well, you discriminate all the time. It's a matter of preference. Who's to say Harvard can't have a preference? In fact, isn't it a good thing that Harvard wants more diversity inside of their university? Isn't it a great thing that diversity of many different types, not just one type, but many different types are present? And in order to achieve that, we must discriminate against certain races that are overrepresented on the campus, in this case, Asians. And we know this, that it goes back even further. There's been people interviewed, because when you're talking about a prestigious, a very prestigious university such as Harvard, then you have to do in-person interviews. It's a very rigorous attempt to try to get in. You have to, and it's, they, they have talked to people conducting these interviews, and they have been told and have found out that in the review process, in the documents they fill out after these interviews, that... Well, this person's Asian, but doesn't really act Asian, so I don't know if you'd want to count this person as Asian. So they have all of this proof piled up against Harvard right now. And finally, the case went to the Supreme Court, which they're going to look at to see if this is legal or not. ACLU just came out with this. Considering race as one of the many factors in order to create a diverse student body is not only a worthy institutional goal of a university, it's one protected by the Supreme Court. 
Students who learn from each other and are exposed to a variety of experiences, backgrounds, interests, and talents are better prepared for society. So the argument is diversity is necessary, thus discrimination is warranted. That is a slippery, weird slope to go down. And if you're the ACLU, I don't know how old you are, obviously, because I'm speaking to a lot of people at once. But I'm guessing you're of a certain age that remembers when the ACLU would have been against discrimination, would have been against racial discrimination, when they would have stood up on the behalf of the students to say, no, this large, giant organization that's discriminating against you openly should not be allowed to do so. But instead, the ACLU has changed so much over the years. It's more than just defending free speech now. They don't even, it's hard to even guess if they would defend defend, uh, free speech at this point. It's gotten so out of whack. And that's why so many people have questions about these institutions and the way things are covered. Because historically speaking, you can go back and look at a CNN in the 90s and say, wow, what a great news organization. And now you look at CNN and you scratch your head and say, what happened? They're not the same thing. You can look at that newspaper, same thing too. You can probably do that to the New York Times. Let's go back and read the New York Times and compare it to the way it is today. And do you see the same bias? Or any Washington Post, is, I probably should have used them as the better example. The Washington Post is a, a fantastic example of this. So I think everyone has their radar up and they understand that there's these certain problems in the way things are reported and certain biases that are out there. But is the right answer that, well, we just have to give in to it and... Discrimination is necessary in order to have the greater good, whatever you think that greater good is, relative to your own viewpoints of the world. Is that the right way to handle it? There was an email that was forwarded to me a little bit earlier today from an organization that looks at politicians and their voting record. And I read the email, and the email is interesting because they don't really give you the appearance that they have a certain slant or they're backed by any certain bias. But they do, but they don't give the appearance. And I thought, how is that any different than most of the news organizations that we participate in read today? Don't you always need your radar up to understand that there could be bias in what you're reading or saying? I want to talk about that after the break. Uh, and we can open up things to you, too, with this whole ACL loss, ACLU lawsuit. When it comes to admissions at Harvard, I would love to talk to someone that could defend this and say, you know, discrimination is necessary because diversity is more important. So let's say some kids don't get into Harvard. Boo-hoo. They're smart. They'll get into another Ivy League whatever. Do you think that discrimination on a college campus is necessary in order to achieve diversity and that's the greater good? Go ahead. I'd I'd love to hear your argument on that. Try to change my mind. 855-616-1620. 616-1620. We'll take some of your calls, if you dare and if you can, on WTMJ. So here's the phone number on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 616-1620. You know the text line as well. 855-616-1620. A couple of good text messages coming in. I was really hoping someone wanted to defend discrimination when it comes to admission processes at universities and colleges, such as Harvard. The Supreme Court's going to hear that case, and it's going to be an interesting one. I guess there's a potential of a tie, considering one of the Supreme Court justices, Gintanji Brown, will have to sit that one out because she was 
a participant at Harvard that allowed the discrimination. In fact, I think she was even part of the admissions process, which guided that process. So if she sits out, there, I guess there could potentially be a Supreme Court tie in this one. I hope there's not. But discriminations on college campuses, the ACLU is saying, hey, we're for it. I wanted to bring up another example of something I think why you always need to have your radar up. You just can't take for granted organizations that you once knew, like the ACLU, will still stand up for the little guy. In fact, they may be on the Harvard side in some cases. And forget about you, race is applying. It's not, you're not the preferred race that we want to defend. That's kind of a lousy stance for the ACLU to take. There was an email that was forwarded to me. It's from an organization that was trying to publicize their website. And their website essentially is a guide for voters. And considering the primaries a week away, and this could be a big one here in Wisconsin, I think that what you'll find is that there's going to be so many different people that are trying to show what the real record of a certain politician is. How do they vote? Are they in line with certain ideas? Whatever it may be. And depending on what you put up there, it could be unbiased. It just could be, here's the flat-out voting record, and this is everything you need to know. There may be some bias to it, meaning, okay, does it align with your political viewpoints? So if it's a conservative or a liberal website, let's take the NRA, for example. NRA has their own objective, and how friendly are they when it comes to voting on things that would restrict the Second Amendment? They want you to know, okay? That's what their focus is. So would the same filter be applied to some of these other websites that are claiming to be unbiased? And I got this email that was forwarded to me, and it said the website, and and this is what the person wrote. The website said to provide information on candidates, and it happens to be run by a group called American Family Association Action And their mission is to inform and mobilize individuals to strengthen the biblical foundations of America. This is what my point of this is going to be. Whenever I read anything online, I always assume there's a bias to it and there's going to be some slant to it. I always just assume they don't have my best interest out. They have their own interest out. And what I would prefer is that just go ahead and tell me what your organization's all about. Then I'll know if I'm going to most likely agree with you or not. If you're a conservative organization and you're approaching this as a conservative organization would or a libertarian would, or if you're a liberal outfit, uh, if you're a super woke organization, whatever it is, if you're a religious organization, you may approach this in a way that I'll say, okay, you know, hey, look at that. I'm also a Christian. I'd probably look at this the same way you do. This informs me going into it knowing that, hey, I know what the slant is, but at least I know where you're coming from on it. Much like the NRA would be when it comes to voting against Second Amendment propositions that come up in Congress once in a while. Okay, if you're someone that's pro-Second Amendment and guns, like I am, then I'll know, okay, if the NRA is pointing out this person has a terrible track record, then, okay, then I know where the bias is. It just so happens I agree with the bias. So just be transparent on this. You'll find that, for the most part, transparency will take you a long way. There's an audience out there for transparency. You don't have to try to you know, hide the way you feel if you're an organization that has a certain feel to it. So let's be let's just be real with that. Just be real with us. We're smart. We understand these things. I'm Ryan Recker. You're listening to WTMJ. Looking at some of the text messages coming in. Is the regular DJ on vacation? <laughs> I don't know. Do you consider talk Hosts as DJs, disc jockeys, 
It's a definition that has morphed a little bit over the years because in today's world, a disc jockey is you're going to the clubs at night and you're playing the hottest records and you're mixing them together and you're getting the kids out on the dance floor and you can show you how out of touch I feel talking like this. But that's how you think of a DJ today, club DJ playing electro music or whatever. There's, let's see, uh, okay. Oh, you're at it. Please help me wrap my mind around why my daughter couldn't get into the school. Okay, I'm not familiar with that situation, but thank you, Rich, for the text message. Uh, Okay, so the approach towards Asian students is consistent with the approach towards middle-class white students in the name of diversity. Okay, one person said, this country has moved backwards more than 70 years. Discrimination is only one problem. It's fascinating to think that Harvard is defending their ability to discriminate as saying that it is a necessity. It is weird to think Harvard is the institution that is doing that, but they say it's the part of the greater good. One other political thing I wanted to bring up that was fascinating to me is that on the Hill, apparently there was a pretty high-ranking celebrity that has now endorsed Representative Liz Cheney, and that person is Kevin Costner. I think everyone knows Kevin Costner. He's part of a wildly popular show called Yellowstone that so many people watch. I've seen, I think, two episodes, and they were so long I couldn't get into it. Isn't that tough? Everyone says Yellowstone's the greatest show on television or whatever streaming right now on Paramount. I just couldn't do it. It's it's like, how do people watch this for an hour and a half? Oh, this is too much. But then again, you're going to hate me for saying that. But there it is. Cheney has now touted the endorsement by Kevin Costner. Quote, real men put country over party. The picture that she posted on her social media shows Kevin Costner wearing a Liz Cheney T-shirt. And Costner's smiling featured in the picture. So they took that picture as an opportunity to try to help her campaign. And the caption that she put onto that picture was, real men put country over party. High-profile support's always good. Uh, Liz Cheney, by the way, in Wyoming, is doing terrible. She's polling, according to this Hill article, 20 points behind her competitor that's up for the uh, primary. And a big part of this has to do with the person that's challenging her in the primary. Her name is Harriet Hagman, and she is backed by Donald Trump. And that's a big thing, because a lot of people looked at Liz Cheney in a point of leadership, deciding to go against her party, somewhat demoted in that sense, continued on with the January 6th commission. And a lot of people have looked at that and said, yeah, no, that's incredibly biased. You're motivated by your extreme hatred towards this person. And that hatred is blinding you in your decisions. Now, she doesn't see it that way. And I think a lot of people that watch the January 6th commission, they don't see it that way either. I think that when you jump up on the soapbox and you're Liz Cheney and I'm holier than thou and I'm holier than the party and I know what's best and no one else does and everyone else is wrong is the approach that some politicians fall into that trap where they're bigger than their whole party. That rarely works. I mean, it, it works once in a while, but almost never. I think the last time you saw it was in 2016 when Donald Trump run and he essentially said, um, <laughs> I'm pretty much the party. I'm bigger than the party. So if you don't accept me as your nominee, I'm going to sink your party. That was the threat that everyone had, the trying to break that up. That's not the same. Uh, well, for Liz Cheney's sake, I wondered if she thought that was going to happen for her. Like, she's going to just be the leader of the party from here on out for challenging the status quo. But really, that didn't work. You can see that her ratings are tanked, and she's probably going to get primaried there.
So when I look at that phrase, real men put country over party, I think, get over yourself. I'm going back to the 80s, like those, you know, teenage girls gag me with a spoon for hearing comments like that, roll my eyes and think that's not working for anyone. And even using phrases like that, questionable at best, real men put country over party, like anyone's going to read that and say that's our rallying cry and still... Um, that just, to me, looks like pure desperation. But either way, it'd be cool for Kevin Costner to get an endorsement from him. I mean, he's still a popular actor right now in Hollywood. For the most part, she just wasted it for putting that tweet out. I'm Ryan Recker, and uh, how about this? Follow me on Twitter, at Ryan Recker, Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook. Looking at some of the text messages coming in, and thank you for all those that are texting in you're free to call too. the phone numbers there and we have a producer that's sitting there and he's looking at the phone and he's thinking i don't know if i remember how to use this thing is this used for calls yes it is and he's getting lonely in fact i can you know what they say about uh, idle hands so give him some work 855-616-1620 a couple of text messages it seems the republicans feel the same way towards cheney as the democrats feel towards manchin it is even possible to put country constituents over party anymore. Is it even possible? I see. A text message that Eric from Racine, he wanted to be someone that is the test dummy. He wants to try the cream puff with Texas Roadhouse cinnamon butter. No, I'm sorry. Um, I've already signed up, and I'm in the front of the line. I think because I came up with it and invented the idea, then I'm going to get the first try. But how about this? If while I'm eating and I pass out because it's too rich... Um, then you can finish it for me if you want. I'll, I'll give you that. Here's a text message. Ryan, I personally believe a big part of the reason this country is so divided is because Congress, both Dems and Republicans, put party over people. That could be a big part of it. You know what frustrates me more than anything else is that when there's a giant package that's being used in spending, you know, oh, I don't know, $800 billion. Eh, give or take. Let's Let's up and say it's a trillion dollars after all is said and done. And they'll name it something, you know, something you can get behind, like Reduce Inflation Act of 2022, Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Oh, that sounds good. Let's everyone get behind it. And you find that $800 billion that afterwards, wait a minute, this isn't going to drop inflation. In fact, it's going to make things worse. And at the very best, it's going to have no impact which is not good because you're talking about a ton of money that can go in different corners. They're going to be spending a ton with this. And now you're talking about Mansion on board. So what's going to happen with cinema? A lot of people question that too. And I just got to point out, when you talk about not working for the people, as in both parties do this, you're 100% right. What I'm saying is that if you wanted to reduce inflation, then only put things inside the act of reducing inflation that actually reduces inflation. If you're going to put in all these other pet projects or these Green New Deal type of garbage inside of it, and if you want to try to fight the environment and climate change and all these things, then put it inside of a bill that would do exactly that, as opposed to trying to force the hand and say this is in the guise of inflation. I think that's the type of stuff that people are really frustrated with, and that's when you put your party over your constituents, because that's not what the constituents want. They don't want to be... Uh, you know, surprised one day when we're 
and inflation's even further out of control. We're so far down the line, we can't turn it back. And what their answer to all of this is, is just suck it up. We can't have them. So we really need to take a reverse a role reversal in something like this. I'm going to read a story here from the Bleacher Report that really shocked me. And I've always been in the mindset that if you don't have to do business with China, don't do business with China. They have a terrible human rights violations uh, track record. We know what they're doing to the Uyghur population, forced prison camps. And we're even talking about sexual assaults that I don't even want to go into right now of what happens in these places. It's, it's pretty terrible. All people grabbed and taken for not committing a crime. It's pretty ridiculous that here we are. We're just not willing to address some of the travesties that go on in some of these countries. Human rights violations that Iran continuously will do. Throw Saudi Arabia in, in there, too. Saudi Arabia, excuse me. And there's all of these, and some of them are allies and some of them are not. I mean, we can look at places of the world that we do business with and not always be happy with some how they handle themselves always, but we, at least in the very end, say, well, we're not for it and we're not endorsing those things, but we'd be dumb not to take this deal or not to supply goods and services to them or not trade with them or whatever it is. And I think a lot of ways companies find that that same compromise is on their head. I can do business with China. I can open up a plant. We might outsource some of that to the slave labor because it'll be really cheap. But ultimately, in the end, the American citizens will win because we'll get the products cheaper here, and that's that. And you wonder, how as a company can you do that? How could you make those compromises knowing where these goods are coming from and the hands that made these things? And you scratch your head and say, wow, here I am, you know, it, it's impossible for me to buy All-American because so many goods come from China. But you want to do everything you can to try to minimize that. You don't want to put yourself in the shoes of some of these business owners because maybe you would make the same compromises if it meant saving hundreds of millions of dollars. You have stockholders. So let me tell you about someone that made a conscious decision and stood up and decided he's not going to participate in that. And that person is... Tiger Woods. I wanted to give a lot of credit to him today because this would have been incredibly tempting. And I think most people listening here today would have taken this deal. Tiger Woods, one of the most popular golfers of all time. Definitely not one of the most skilled as of today, but in his prime, one of the most dominant and one of the biggest athletes on the entire planet. And rightfully so. He was fantastic. He was the, he was the best at what he did. And crossing sports and being able to market himself being on the cover of video games, marketing campaigns, all of these things. So what the big push right now is a golf tournament, the LIV, the Live Golf International Series, the LIV. What you find with this international series is that it's backed by the Saudis, and they got a lot of money, and they've offered celebrities to go over there and golf. If I remember correctly, Charles Barkley turned down an offer for them to go golf, but not everyone has been able to do that. I think Nicholson went over there. No, not Nicholson. Um, I can't remember exactly who it was. Mickelson with the noun. Mickelson, excuse me. And when he went over there, that raised a lot of eyebrows. What are you doing? I mean, you know who you're taking money from. And he's thinking to himself, i got to make a living. I don't want to die poor. So Tiger Woods was offered an opportunity to go golf over as part of this tournament. And it was discussed last night by their CEO, Greg Norman, that they offered Tiger Woods somewhere between 700 and $800 million for him to go golf there. 700 and $800 million. 
Tiger Woods turned it down. He says, the players that have chosen to go play there, I disagree with it. I think what they have done is they've turned their back on what has allowed them to get to this position. Cheers to Tiger Woods. Anyone listening right here, if the Saudis offered you $700 million to go do whatever you do in your field over there, you would take that deal. I, I can almost guarantee it. Good for Tiger Woods. I know that he's in a comfortable position where he doesn't need the money, but I'll tell you this. It would have been a very tempting thing for him, and it sounds like it wasn't even, sounds like it didn't even blip on his radar. I applaud him for that. I, I really do. And he stood up on principle, and he put his money where his mouth is. Good for him. Oh, Mickelson got $200 million. Someone just texted it in. Wow. It's a lot of money. Forget about seven and $800 million, Still, even $200 million. I don't know if people would be able to turn that around. Another text message from Kyle in Milwaukee. Dustin Johnson got $160 million. Where are they getting all this money? It's just unbelievable. I'm Ryan Recker. You're listening to WTMJ. Wanted to give you an observation. When I was on my flight and heading here to Milwaukee to fill in, I'm your guest host, Ryan Recker. I was listening to a podcast, and it was from 2020, right at the onset of the pandemic. And I got hooked in because it was Weird Al Yankovic. And who doesn't like Weird Al? He's like one of the most loved people on the planet. So they were given an interview talking about what he was up to. And lucky for Weird Al, he said, I wasn't going to tour this year anyway. This was going to be an off year for me. So I got kind of got lucky. All these different concerts and venues canceling things doesn't really affect me, except for all the other things. And it was so strange to go back and listen to the things we were saying at the start of the pandemic versus what we know today, because so much of that changed the science, so much of how we handle it, how we handle ourselves, how everyone was hysterical for so many different things that, in retrospect, we realized didn't matter. They were trivial compared to some of the other bigger problems that we were going to face and run into. So I wanted to give you some of the different predictions on that podcast that didn't really pan out. He said, I don't think we'll ever shake hands anymore. It's like, oh, okay. I don't think we'll ever go back into the office ever again. They were even predicting how large cities were going to handle this. And part of it was that since everyone is afraid to go out, it's going to kill large cities because they're going to be afraid to be so close and living on top of each other. Definitely that was a big fear at first, and that really hit New York City harder than I think a lot of these other places. And rightfully so. I mean, if you want to talk about an airborne, the way some of this, what we understood at the time, how the virus was spreading, then that was a logical conclusion, sure. But really, not really. Uh, They said that you probably will never go back into an office. You'll work remotely for the rest of your life. Um, And another thing he mentioned was that you have to leave items out. There's always going to be a waiting period for the sanitation process. So he talked about having food delivered or going to the grocery store and pointing out that when you got home, his process was, I leave all the non-perishable items on my front porch to air out, and then I bring the perishable ones in after cleaning them all down. You remember that at the start of the pandemic, how everyone was wiping down individual boxes of food? Here you are trying to do everything you can. There were the videos online of these people that were in full quarantine, meaning like you got home if you had to go shopping with other people, and they would bring out the garden hose and just spray you down, essentially throwing lime at you to hose you down for all of this. Pure fascination about how polite people were 
of those that got the virus. So when you said, oh, I got the coronavirus, everyone was so fascinated with it, like you just told them you traveled to eight different countries and you learned so much about their cultures. Oh, please tell us everything that you know about it. And a lot of times it was just, oh, yeah, no, it was just, you know, no big deal. And I think that so many people had this pure fascination with it. There was also the ethics of what you can steal and what you couldn't. So are you allowed to go to the office and take toilet paper and hand sanitizer back home with you because you can't get it anymore? They also thought that, for the most part, you would never leave your home if you didn't have to. Everything's going to be delivered to you because it's safer than going out in mass in public. And I heard all these predictions, and I kept thinking to myself, man, I'm so glad that none of these predictions really came true. I'm glad that we're not living that way today. So much of it has changed. And as I'm sitting in the airport, I have my headphones in, and I'm looking around, and I'm curious, who who has their headphones in right now? Who has the mask on right now? And I didn't do a full count, but I estimated about 5% were traveling at the airport with a mask on. About 5%, I'll say. And uh, all things considered, how many people during that time were lecturing you? about masks. It was more than 5%. I wonder why they changed their tune. What was what changed in their mind here that when they felt the safety was better, was it just the vaccine that changed and everything was good after that? But for the most part, you'd think the idea of a mask preventing the spread, vaccine or not, knowing what we know today with a lot of these masks, that a lot of times maybe that's what changed their tune, that just the science changed. I'm just glad it didn't pan out the way it panned out. And here we are today. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ.